Hello, and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. I'm your host, Camelin Thompson, and today I am thrilled to introduce Renee Zamora. Renee, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a man that likes life. <laughs> and uh, part of that is because I've been on a pretty cool direction with my business and uh, my business as sales manager now. We manage small business sales teams. It's now known as fractional sales management. Didn't know that when I started it 16 years ago. I just thought I was doing the next cool thing for myself. And uh, so it's gone well, written a book about it, about what we do here. And I have other consultants. So I've kind of grown past a solopreneur into a business uh, myself. Love my life, love my wife. My kids are cool. And so what can I say? And uh, we'll talk yeah. more if you ask me more questions. You ticked all the boxes, you know, that's the important <laughs> stuff. So I think a lot of people listening may not understand how wonderful freelancing can be and switching over to that world. But let's talk about what happened right before you switched over. I shouldn't really say right before, but you were telling yeah. me a little bit about your last corporate job. I heard you say six ownership changes in seven years six ownership changes in seven years yes wow so um yeah before i started consulting i was uh, in sales sales management in the wireless mobile industry and that was you know way before there was whatever there is now three four five giants you know that control the market uh, back then, there was a lot of um, um, rural communities that had their own licenses and their own companies. And I decided to move from California to Oregon to join Cellular One, McCall Communications, who was own, who was their own company. And then within a month or so, we got bought by AT&T. And then within, I don't know, a couple of years, we spun off of AT&T and a private ownership took it back over. And so I went from this big company to a giant company to small company. And then with another year or two, we sold to another local company. It was just, it was just, people were just acquiring and merging back then because they knew they wanted to get to where they are today. And everyone's making a few coins, some big coins uh, with every transaction. But in the meantime, uh, there I was with my manager and my team, and we were going through these transitions and we learned, I learned uh, that every owner isn't the same. So in a seven-year period, you know, six different ownership changes from corporate to small to medium-sized, local, across the United States. How do we, you know, how did we, how were we able to keep our, our culture? I, it wasn't a plan. We just lived it and got through it. And now maybe I can share a little bit about it. So that's what we did. <laughs> yes. And I was grinning because if you're based in the Seattle area, chances are good. You've worked for a Macaw company, which I have because they're based out of Kirkland. I believe he's yeah. Yeah, they were. family is based out of Kirkland, but it, yeah. interesting overlap there. So world is small. What made you decide to stick around? Because a lot of people that change can be so uncomfortable because there's a lot of uncertainties. What made you really choose to stick around? I would probably say, you know, I don't think it was much of a choice. My family was young. And so, you know, I had the, I'm the, was the, the main breadwinner. And so uh, you got to keep working. And I had moved from the San Francisco Bay area, San Jose, up to a tiny community, in my opinion, you know, Klamath Falls, Oregon, pretty small. And so it's not like, oh, just throw your resume out there and you'll get another great job. 
So I think uh, my life, you know, kind of kept me there. But what, so that was, so it wasn't hard to just kind of hang in there. And I think the other reason, I, the main reason I stuck around is my immediate manager was staying. And he was kind of our, our leader. And he managed a couple of, a couple of territories. And then through every acquisition, he gained a little bit more responsibility. Then when we went to the small company, he was the top cheese and then he got acquired and he stayed, he stayed our leader. So our leader was stable. And I think he always, uh, he was just a good person, Donnie Castleman. And he would go to battle for us, for what we needed and shield us from <laughs> the stuff we didn't really need to get into. And then he'd also share a little bit of that with us. So I uh, felt like we were all part of it. But we knew we can um, count on our leader to you know, get us what we needed the best he could, be honest with us, be upfront with us, and encourage us to just carry on. And so it's cool. Wow, that can that can be so hard. I had a friend who said that management's job is to be a little poop umbrella so people don't really feel the impact. But it's interesting to hear you mention that seeing behind the curtain a little bit at least can be really positive for the rest of the team. Yep. I'm wondering, as as everybody adjusted, did you see some of the struggles with that adjustment in your manager rolling out to the team or was it really the, the team, him or this person needing to manage the team to maintain the, I don't know if I'm <laughs> stating that very clearly. Yeah. I think that uh, at every, every level, if you're a leader, you know, there's every company doesn't make the perfect decisions, right? Uh, that we like as employees. I haven't been any company that makes all the ones that I would make, right? So we're always going to be frustrated a little bit. And I think at every level of employment, at every level of the organization, you know, there's going to be things you enjoy and you don't enjoy. And I guess what I'm trying to get to that, you know, just being being open and honest to um, as much information as someone would want to hear is a good thing. Uh, I've told people this before. So, okay, six different ownerships in seven years. The one owner that I had the most respect for was a venture capital ownership group. And they came in out of the East Coast. They came into our office and met everyone and said, hey, we're your new, your new owners. You guys have done a great job. You know, that's why we invested in you. And we're in a venture capital. We have an, a goal of where we want you guys to be at. And then we're going to sell you. You know, and they were just up front. And they might not have said it that bluntly, but they were up front with us that that was their play in this marketplace. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they managed us accordingly. We got managed in numbers. And man, I got to learn how what East Coast quarterly meetings were about. And uh, that was a cool, uh, cool and uncomfortable experience. Uh, <laughs> I, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. What I've learned really good is you better know your business know why you did something, know why you didn't. And anything you say in there, any promises you make, you better keep them or know why you didn't. And so it was really good from a business standpoint to, to get that type of accountability. But the reason I respected them was because they were honest. And many of the other owners told us uh, the things they thought we wanted to hear. You know, hey, we're not going to change a thing. We bought you because of the people. And, you know, why would we change that? You know, and in a few months, there's changes and the culture changes. And I don't know if they were, I don't know what their motives were. Some of these owners never bought someone like us before, so they didn't know what the heck they were doing. And I think just in general, what I look at it now as I've, um, you know, evolved through my career is they were uh, communicating out of fear. 
They didn't want us to leave. They didn't want us to think the wrong thing. Well, guess what? We're adults, you know? Right. <laughs> we chose to work at your company. We could choose to leave anytime we want. And if you treat me like an adult, I'll probably act more like an adult. And so uh, that was a big thing that I've tried to carry on in how I manage people. Yeah, I think we probably all had a friend who would say they'd go do the thing, but they didn't actually want to do it. So they didn't, they canceled the last minute and not show up. But it's like, just tell me you don't want to do the thing. It's fine. We'll find a different thing. It's cool. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm not going to just quit. Like, I still, I need the job, you know? <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah. So given all of these changes and you're seeing what to do and maybe a little bit of what not to do, it sounds like you've come up with five core practices. Why don't you give us a short overview of those practices and then we'll dive into each one a little bit more. Sure. And the practices apply to all management, but when I, I, when I defined these for myself or discovered what I was doing, I would say, uh, was when I was writing my book, Part-Time Sales Management, and the book's written to small small business owners who are leading a company and leading a, man, uh, a sales team. And what I saw that I was doing is one is I had to believe in my people. And that's what Donnie used to do in us. He believed in us. We knew we did. And so that that's core. And if you don't believe in your people, well... Fix yourself or fix them, one of the two. Figure out what the problem is and take care of that. Uh, next thing is clear expectations. Um, just like I said with that ownership group, and they say, hey, look, this is what you can expect from us. We're going to work hard. We're going to build it here. Then you can expect a, a new ownership <laughs> soon. Okay, so clear expectations. But from a management standpoint, it's like, what's my job? What do you expect of me? You know, how do I, how do I know I'm doing a good job? And then also clear expect, what should I expect from my manager? And so as a manager, take the lead in that. And this is what you can expect from me. This is how I'll support you. This is how you can come to me. You don't need to come to me for this, you know, get those communications clear. Uh, so people aren't just running in for the wrong reasons. Third piece, accountability. So, and I call it creating an environment of accountability, not holding people, but creating a, an environment where people hold each other accountable, everybody to each other from a meeting to results, so on. And then the next thing is having consistent meetings. Don't, when you schedule weekly meetings, keep those meetings at the worst, reschedule them. If you can't lead them, have someone else lead them. Don't cancel them just because the leader's not there. They're really important because if you do good meetings, people will want to come to the meeting and they'll, cause they know they're going to be heard and issues will get solved. And so that's big. And then the fifth one is have conversations with people. So conversation number five, and that is conversations that let people know that you care about them. And so um, don't just squeeze them in. If you don't have time now, schedule time. Do you have time? Listen, sit down, put your phone away, get off your email and have a conversation because if your people are coming to you, it's usually because they need to be heard about something. So put your ears, open your ears and start listening. <laughs> I love these. So let's, let's dig into them and in order. Let's start with believe in people. And I'm thinking the economy is really hard right now. A lot of people are having a bad quarter, particularly in sales. How, how does this best manifest itself? And, and when do we know, if you said you either need to change yourself or the other person, yeah. how do you kind of navigate that decision-making process? Or maybe we can riff through that. Sure. If you're, if you're, 
if you're worried about people, if you're, so let's say your, your belief is now, I don't know if they could do it. Okay. All right. Well, there's your indicator. Why? Okay. <laughs> don't just go with feelings or, Oh, it looks like Joe or Mary or Bill, you know, like it's looked like they're going down that same road. Okay. Well, maybe they are. And maybe they're not. Maybe you're just misreading it. Maybe you have your own fears. So that's like manage yourself. Or is your is your own triggers or your own, you know, we're all people. We all got stuff. And so is your own stuff creating that doubt and belief? That's when I say deal with it. Okay. Actually, you know, there's I have no basis for thinking this. I'm just kind of making an assumption. Let's go look at the numbers. You know, let's go look at the activity. Let me go just go by their desk and say, how's it going? Uh-huh. Just with an with an interest of knowing, not just not making an accusation, accusation, but to actually really and then listen. How is it going? I want to know. You yeah. Know? And uh, is it? Is, are you struggling right now? Mm-hmm. You might hear I was last week, but so landed a couple of good opportunities, and I'm ready to rock. I said, oh, all of a sudden your belief is back. You know, so go ask a question, and then let's just say the performance is bad. Then yeah, you need to do what we managers don't like to do, but we have to do. You know, get down to what the core issue is: uh, if it's activity, if it's attitude, if it's behavior, uh, quality of their conversations, and um, you know, coach them up. If they can't get it there, put them on an improvement plan. I got a couple of people right now on improvements plans and they're, they're making some progress, you know, and sometimes people need that. And so that's where you can get your belief back for it. But, you know, I can believe in people all the way till they're out the door okay? yeah, because they still need, because ultimately still need to perform. I can believe them all I want, but if they don't perform, then they don't get to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. And sales, I think, can be a little more clear cut because you have very well-defined expectations. And uh, that's such a benefit. I think a lot of other departments don't quite do the same thing. Um, And what I see be a killer in any department is the wrong attitude. So it, it kind of poisons the well a little bit. Have you seen that too? Is there... In your experience, have you turned that around? Uh, yeah, you know, I, one time, some, I don't know where I heard this, but someone was sharing about Disney and how, you know, they have an expectation of how, or at least they used to, I don't know what they do nowadays, but years ago, you know, you have to be a certain way. You can't work for Disney and like be bummed out and have a bad attitude you know, if you're at Disneyland. Like people yeah. are expecting you to be happy and smiling and, you know, kind of animated. And if you, and so that's a clear expectation of this employment. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, uh, everyone has bad days. Everyone can have problems. We all got problems in our life. But when we walk in the door and cross the threshold there, we got to do, we got to put ours aside and, you know, bring our best attitude to the team and to everyone working around you because we impact each other. So there's nothing wrong with stating that expectation, but most people don't. Uh-huh. And so then you're stuck once you get there because now you're trying to motivate someone instead of just manage by saying, hey, you know, we have, you, remember we talked about uh, we got to leave our problems at the door and then just be man up, woman up, and be 100% good attitude over here. And I noticed you've been doing this, you've been doing this, and I've seen you this, and you're kind of down. So would you agree? Yes. Okay. Ready to change that? Great. Let's bring it back. But you can't have that conversation if you haven't set the clear expectation. Uh, it's not as easy to have, I'd say. 
I really appreciate you pointing that out because communication and then outlining what's expected is always the first step when you start to notice something. Mm-hmm. If people don't know what's expected of them, they can't perform to that level. So I really appreciate that. And I also like that you pointed out there are exceptions, like people are human, you know, somebody in the family passes, they lose their dog or something like that. You get a few days. If you can't do it, like I can't pull it together, Renee, it's like, well, let's get some PTO too. Because while you're here, you kind of have to, and you know, and and it's not going to work. So go get, go take care of yourself. Yeah. Health days can be mental health days. It's, it's all health. And uh, the self-awareness you're talking about, is it something that triggers you or is it based in fact, this thing that's bothering you about this person? Right. Therapy is great for that. (laughs) been working on myself my whole life. I'm not done. (laughs) Yes, I I, I hear you. All right. So uh, my personal favorite, and I think we've touched on this a bit, is clear expectations. So let's outline that a little bit in a business context. I know you mentioned the performance plan, but I think it's good to start even sooner, even with the job description. Where... Where do you really see this coming into conversations? Well, uh, you hit it. Job description, clear co- on comp- sales, compensation is another expectation. How do I get compensated? You know, so having the inhabited, do- everything's got to be documented, your sales process, how your CRM works, you know, how to use the CRM, what, what you're expected of you to input and what, ex- what, uh, how we, what we expect of you to review to make decisions on. There's almost so many little details and it's, it's no fun. It's not my favorite part of the job. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, documenting all these processes and everything. But yeah, my favorite part of the job is once I'm done as a manager, it's like, all right, you hired, you hired on to do all this stuff. Here you go. There's your, uh, <laughs> there's your recipe. Go for it. And you know, it's, uh, I think, uh, I think that's why some managers uh, lean on their charisma, motivation, energy is the details haven't been finished. And so they kind of keep everyone going with, with that. But if you just put it into the details, then other people know what to do and they get to get the joy of doing their job and getting bringing their own motivation. So yeah, without expectations, you can't have accountability. So what's interesting about that is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but coaching, especially with kids, I've watched evolve tremendously and that just do it because they said so. It doesn't really work anymore. And telling them the why is much more motivating. Are you seeing that in the workplace too? <laughs> well, it's just always good, you know, there because some things... Do you have to all the time? No. Just like you don't need collaboration and consensus all the time. It's good, you know, and it's appropriate at times, but it doesn't have to be everything. You know, should we change the color on the door of the restroom? What do you think, guys? Let's vote on that. You know, paint the door. Let's go. We got to go. Thank you. Yes. There are some things that are business critical and that is not one of them. (laughs) Creating an accountable environment just on its own can seem a little harsh, but I have a feeling you mean this as a two-way street. Can you, is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. If I said my staff needs to know what they can expect from me, then I'm, the door is open. Hold me accountable, you know? And, and so that's fine. Just re- if I'm off track, just remind me if I'm off track, remind me because I, I want to be on track. 
And so the environment is you want everyone to be like that. So do you agree to the, the role? Do you agree to what our expectations are? Yeah. Do you want to do them well? I do. Most people do. And so, and so as long as they know, then each of us can do that. And to everyone, like, you know, I mentioned meetings we'll go into next. I mean, that's where we all, you can't, if you're leaving a meeting saying like, that was a yucky meeting or I can't understand that. Well, you're not being accountable to the team. You need to go address what the problem is because we should have better meetings that people want to be at. Yeah, and particularly in sales, it's such a high-performance uh, mindset that's needed. I can't see anybody doing super well if they just want to coast. Right. There's other positions for that. We we need everybody. Maybe that's not the right role. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Gosh, I'm having flashbacks to the VP of sales who would pull out the big old spreadsheet and go deal by deal for the forecasting review. One of the core tenets that I've heard is not all meetings need all details. Can you mm -hmm. kind of tell me that from a sales perspective? Like sure. what's a one-on-one -on -one versus a group forecasting call, et cetera? Well, I, I would, uh, my meetings are team meetings and my one-on-ones are individual meetings. And so in the team, it's always about the team, the team goal, how we're doing as a team. It's not grilling down on anybody. The numbers usually will show uh, individual numbers, but I don't, so that's, that does all my management for me. They, everyone sees each other's numbers, they, they look at theirs and they compare themselves with others, but I never bring it up. You know, that's just for them to do. I focus on the team there. Because in the individual one-on-one, we'll zero in on theirs. Now, doesn't mean we won't coach uh, individuals during a meeting if they want to bring us a scenario or if I just need updates on something. Are we on track with this? Is anyone off track? You're off track? Okay, well, let's either deal with it now or we could, let's deal with it later. Separate meeting offline. But, uh, but even no matter who's doing great or not doing great, meeting for us at sales manager now is this is about a team so if we are not at team goal and you're like 150 percent i'm not going to say like okay you're off the hook because you've already done your part i'm going to say like our team has not got there yet okay <laughs> and so we are all in this together and i'm not going to make the person who's halfway to goal feel worse about it we're, we're a team right now so who's going to go do something and I've seen problem solvings, whether you're in technology and, and managing technology or you're on a sales team, like handling or doing key core objection, handling, training, and just watching everybody kind of riff off of each other. That could be such a great way to build those skills. You're right. Yeah, that's that's it's good stuff. And so, yeah, the, we start every meeting with what's going right. And we do that for two reasons. One is what you just said happens. People share something that was a good thing that others can learn from. And then some of those lead to discussions. And the other thing is just to kind of start on a good vibe because problems will always surface. That, that's, that's, not, that's not hard to figure out problems, but sometimes it's a little harder to figure out what we're doing right. Yeah. So I think uh, this last one can be the tricky one. So we saved the tricky one for last. So conversations that demonstrate you care. So I'm a huge fan of empathy. I, I love this, but have also learned the hard way that you also have to balance this with boundaries. Do you have any tips on how to kind of do that tightrope act? <laughs> Okay. So, yeah. So sometimes you could be in a meeting and someone's giving you too much information. And then as a manager, you know, wow, I just really can't go there. You know, they're sharing their personal life and personal problems and all like that. And, you know, so, how, um, so 
personally, I, for me, I just, you know, I want to show my empathy. Wow. That's gotta be tough. Yeah. So make sure that they feel heard, but then I'll just say like, all right, well, that's something it's going to be tough, but I know you're going to have, you're going to have to work on that. Okay. So, but that's up to you. Okay. I can't, that's kind of outside our, our scope here. Yeah. Well, what I needed to talk about today was, you know, what's going on in here. And then you just go into what you need to need to talk about there. And I'm not a fan of, uh, you know, always say something positive before you say something negative. It's just, uh, it's too telegraphing anymore. In my opinion, there's a time probably where it works good, but it doesn't work good anymore. People are just, you know, you're really, uh, can we meet? Yes. You know, I want to tell you, you're really doing good at showing up on time, but <laughs> your work looks terrible. <laughs> can you fix it? And so I am a fan more of telling people what they're doing right after you've told them what needs to be corrected. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go to the, get down to the truth, deal with it. They can handle it. And then say, by the way, I don't want this meeting to all be about what you're not, what you need to correct. I'm going to say, this is what I see you doing right. Boom, 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 boom. They will hear it better. And it might be lasting longer than if you kind of throw it at the beginning. It kind of looks like you're just trying to help yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. And then knowing when to refer to human resources and get them connected with different, you know, yeah. benefits that they have. Correct. Absolutely. And saying, you know, you really need a support network. Not all of that can be at work. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I would use the need. I would just say support networks are available to you. Again, because even then you're just telling people what they need uh, personally and what they need to do is choose it. And so just even those slight use of words for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I was, um, yeah, I wouldn't use those exact words, but thinking of like if, if somebody's very open about a breakup, they're navigating. Yeah. It's, you know, that must be so hard and really can't. Sent <laughs> me to to not wanting a girlfriend early on for like five years. Okay, <laughs> I'm being triggered. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, Renee, thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything you'd like to add before you tell us where we can find you online? No, I just uh, appreciate you uh, being here and uh, putting a platform out that I could share some of my life experience. And I hope that whoever's hearing it heard one little thing that we talked about that might be able to help them in, in their next decision. I'm sure they did. So where can they find your book? Let's start there. I'll find it on Amazon. It's called Part-Time Sales Management. It really, I think it's good practices for anyone managing. And it really takes the perspective of managing in less time. That's the whole book is designed to how to manage a sales team in 10, 10 to 20 hours a month. So now your boss might not want you working that little of time, but hey, nothing wrong with getting really good at management. And so you can find that on Amazon and you can find us at uh, salesmanagernow.com. We're a fractional sales management company, been doing it for 16 years. Our model hasn't changed. Um, we've been doing virtual before, before the pandemic. And so just if you think you need a sales manager now, type it in. You'll find us. Wonderful. So for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com. Thanks so much for listening. Tell one person, two friends, maybe it does make a difference. Rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you later.